This is Dr. Andrew Jacobs with Sports Psychology Today. And our show is produced in partnership with The Washington Times. And for more episodes, go to thewashingtontimes.com. And for more information on the podcast or to advertise here, go to winnersunlimited.com or email us at drj at winnersunlimited.com. You know, I've been a sports psychologist for 36 years in the Kansas City area, and I've worked with athletes throughout the country and teams, coaches, parents, officials. I give talks on the mental side of sports all the time. And one of the things that I found throughout the years is the pressure to win, the pressure to succeed, the pressure to advance yourself is becoming more and more prominent now. And we're seeing scenarios all over the country where we find out about coaches, athletes, teams who cheat. Younger athletes are now feeling more and more pressure to, to use performance-enhancing medications to find any type of thing they can do to skirt the rules. All the time we find examples of prominent athletes of teams who get caught cheating. The whole scenario with Lance Armstrong, of course, is something we've heard about for years. And, you know, deflate gate with the Patriots and the, and the whole s scenario with them. We hear all these issues about that. Stealing signs in baseball has come up, especially this past year with the Red Sox and the Yankees. These things have gone on. There have been uh, accusations all over the place of, of people skirting the rules, not just at the professional level, but all the way down to the youth sports level. I know years ago, my oldest son was on a 12-and-under uh, premier baseball team, being coached by Kansas City Royals Hall of Famer Jeff Montgomery. Monty, who's a good friend of mine, who I got to know when I was the Royals team psychologist back in 1990, uh, wonderful guy, great coach, and also co-author uh, with uh, Olympic swim coach Pete Malone of my book, Just Let Him Play, Guiding Parents, Coaches, and Athletes Through Youth Sports. Uh, we're, we're at a game, and I'm, and I'm actually sitting with Joe Carter, whose son was on the team. Joe, Joe hit the game-winning home run for the Blue Jays in the 93 World Series, so he knows a little bit about sports performance. And we're sitting there, we're watching the game, and this other team was just killing us. We were getting destroyed. And uh, this young man bats, gets a double, comes around and scores, next batter. And three batters later, Joe and I are sitting there, and, and Joe says, Andy, isn't that the same kid that just got the double? And I said, you're right. So Joe went down and said something to Monty. Monty calls time, goes up to the umpire. The umpire asked the young man, did you just bat? He goes, yeah, three batters ago. He goes, well, you can't bat again. Well, he says, my coach told me to come up and get another hit. So he went over and confronted the coach. The coach said, yeah, we want to score more runs. You can't do that. That's cheating. You're kicked out of the game. Well, so what's the lesson those kids are learning? At 12 years of age, they're learning, do anything you can to win even if it means cheating. And this kid didn't even see anything wrong with it because the coach didn't see anything wrong with it. We've got a problem in, in society with, obviously, the issue of cheating. It's becoming very prominent in all walks of life now outside of sports. But in the world of sports, it happens all the time. So today, I want to talk about this. Joining us this morning from Ithaca College in New York is Dr. Stephen Mosier. Dr. Mosier, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Tell us a little bit about what you do there. Oh, my pleasure. I'm the coordinator of the sports studies uh, program at Ithaca College, and uh, the purpose of the sports studies uh, program is to help those uh, students who are planning a, on a career in either sport management or sport uh, media to uh, have a greater appreciation for the cultural aspects of uh, sport and how important it is with respect to history, sociology, psychology, uh, cultural studies, that kind of thing. So in a very real sense, the courses I teach are the 
courses that uh, have no immediate payback for the students, and so they're very, very uh, unwilling or hesitant to see any kind of value in those courses. I can, because yeah. the payoff is so, so, so long down the road. I can, I can see why that would be frustrating for probably you as a professor to be working with kids who don't see the value of what you're teaching them, because obviously you and I, with our, our backgrounds, can see the value of that, but I'm sure you have some kids who, who are excited as heck to be in your class, and some kids are like, what do I need this for? That's right. Uh, the ones who are excited uh, are really, really excited, and uh, as as you do as well in your professional life, sometimes I make those choices. And if a kid isn't willing to drink out of the water after I've led them there, that, well, that's their moral choice, not mine. <laughs> and, I, and I've been doing this so long now, it, it doesn't keep me awake at night anymore. But it did early on, didn't it? Oh, of course it did. Because, why? Uh, Tell us why. Well, well, because one, the way in which an individual navigates his or her way through the world is, is really, really important. Uh, particularly when you're in a profession where the general public is paying attention to all of the actions, it's incumbent upon you to make the best choices, and, and in many cases, the right choices. And uh, for a whole variety of reasons uh, that we may get into later today, uh, that, sh the, that the ability to, to make the good choice seems to be more and more complicated for, for young people. And uh, we're at a point in our society, I think, we're not just in the world of sports, but other places, we're in crisis. Well, there's no question about that. Our country has a lot of adversity. I mean, all you have to do is turn on the news every day, and there's something that we're going to hear, and whether it's in politics or in the uh, entertainment business or in sports, where there's some kind of controversy. And I, as I talk on my weekly radio show in Kansas City where we discuss this, uh, you know, we're all faced with adversity. And I think in life we have to learn ways to deal with that and confront it. So in sports, it's, it's no different. And so tell us how you teach young people to understand that and, and down the road to deal with it. Because whatever realm you want to enter the world of sports, you're going to have conflict. You're dealing with people who come from all different backgrounds. You have different reasons why you're in sports. There are a lot of people who are in the sports industry, whatever the venue might be, because they love sports. There are a lot of people who are in it because they want to make money. That's an issue today in the world of youth sports that youth sports, and, and this is my opinion, Dr. Mosier, that youth sports has become such a big financial industry that people are in it to make money and not really to help kids out. And so you see youth sports leagues going down to ages of age four, which to me is ridiculous. And you see coaches and parents screaming at kids at age four to win, which is even more ridiculous. And then it causes all kinds of psychological and emotional issues. So the world of sports is growing and changing. So how... You know, get your opinion on that, and then what are you teaching the, the, the students in your classes to try to deal with this and learn from this? Sure. Uh, I have <clears throat> two courses that specifically focus on, on youth sports. Uh, the, the sport, Youth Sport in American uh, Society is very much a, uh, an examination of where we are today. But my history of sport class uh, helps the students appreciate, understand how in the United States of America, we, want, we started off with uh, our sport education in the public school system, uh, which is absolutely unusual in the world. Virtually no other country does it the way we do it. But in the late 1800s during the Industrial Revolution and in the uh, attempt to uh, reform education for the workers of this country, it was seized upon... Uh, 
physical educators that sport because it's such a crystal clear activity where the rules are are not at all complicated or difficult to understand and because kids really like to do sports and really like to play they thought this would be a fantastic venue to be able to teach moral education <laughs> so in a very real sense the first play reformers weren't so much interested in one uh, the kids physical development but their moral development and and we see all sorts of uh, signs about that. You know, the, the motto of the Little League uh, organization in the United States is character, courage, and loyalty. What that has to do with baseball, I don't know, but it certainly has everything to do with baseball. And the idea that sport builds character uh, was promulgated so well in the uh, progressive era in 1900 and maybe World War One uh, that uh, – American public believes it, hook, line, and sinker. Of course, your your research and your experiences suggest that, that that's uh, uh, understood in theory, but certainly not in practice. So it's it's very very important also for uh, my students to understand, particularly since virtually all of them are going to be parents, uh, that. Uh, People develop their ability to reason morally in stages, just as you don't ask a kid who's uh, five years old to go down to the grocery store by driving the car there and back. You certainly don't ask a five-year-old to make a complicated moral decision. It just won't work. You can't ask kids to do things they're incapable of doing, but and are yet we, we do it all the time. But in, in that context, let me ask you this question. Um, I am I, very strongly believing in the fact that we're pushing younger and younger kids to get in these organized sports activities because someone's making money on it, whether it's, you know, the, the people selling the rewards, people organizing the leagues, the people coaching, there are people making money, and so <laughs> they're seeing, you know, big profits, and, and parents are hungry to get their kids involved in sports for all the right reasons, but what I'm seeing is we're in kids, kids are getting in organized sports activities at younger and younger ages, they're burning out at younger and younger ages. A lot of kids are quitting before age 9 and 10 because they're worn out. We're seeing a, a tremendous increase now in sports specialization at younger and younger ages for parents feeling that their kids have to play that sport year-round or they won't have a chance to succeed. And then we're also having a huge increase in sports injuries at younger and younger ages because of the sports specialization stuff. So what do you feel is wrong with sports right now? Oh. I don't think we can do it in 20 minutes, but <laughs> I'll give it a shot. Uh, in, in the late 1970s, early 1980s, uh, physical education in, in the uh, academic setting in the public schools essentially disappeared. And uh, 40 years later, we've reaped the rewards. Uh, I, t I live in a state where uh, the, the expectations of children to take tests and, and uh, quote, not be left behind has resulted in uh, most school systems simply not having the time for kids to forget about physical education daily. They don't even get a chance to go out to do recess and unstructured free play, which I think is incredibly valuable. Yeah, so and it's interesting how that's been being eliminated in a lot of school public school programs. Physical education is no longer part of the curriculum. Yeah, it's it's insane. Uh, Illinois and New York are the only states in the entire nation that have compulsory daily physical education in the elementary schools, and neither state follows their own laws. Why why is that, Dr. Mosier? Why do you think so? 
it, it, you're going to have to blame no, no child left behind. You're going to have to blame teaching to the test. You're going to have to blame all of this uh, uh, emphasis on uh, STEM, you know, the STEM fields, uh, science, technology, you know, engineering, math, those kinds of things, because somehow people have bought the, the uh, political line that that's where we need to go as a society in order to succeed. And so the classroom, the classroom is devoid of the humanities, and so art doesn't matter, uh, uh, music doesn't matter, physical education doesn't matter, and, and kids come home and do more homework in, in the first grade than I ever did, probably you ever did, even in high school. And, and they're just burnt out on education as well. So what they learn to do, of course, is to just sit down, shut up, follow the rules, and get done with the job. And uh, when physical education was abandoned by the school systems, the entrepreneurs, as you say, saw that opening, and they just dove full bore into uh, youth sport outside of the schoolroom, making money, organizing tournaments. And uh, we, we agree, both of us, that, that this is a bad idea for parents to involve their kids. Wow, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even consider uh, putting my child into an organized uh, sports league until about eight or nine. And travel leagues, forget that, too. These kids need to have some time to breathe, and they don't. They're so overscheduled. Well, it's, you know, it's a concern I've had for years. I've been a sports psychologist for 36 years in Kansas City, and I've just seen this, this change in the last decade, especially the last five years, with this sports specialization stuff starting at younger and younger ages, getting mm -hmm. kids in leagues at age four, which to me is absurd. I don't believe kids should be in a sports league until they're seven or eight. I don't. I think it's great. I, I've interviewed over over 26 years. I mean, hundreds of people. And one of the things that I found is great is is sports participation at young ages, getting involved, and learning skills, learning fundamentals, having fun. The third chapter in our book, "Just Let Them Play," that I co-wrote with Royals Hall of Famer Jeff Montgomery and Olympic swim coach Pete Malone, is called "Embracing Failure Can Lead to Fun." And the reason we have that in there is because I don't think we teach kids how to lose or how to fail or how to screw up. We, they get scared of it because they're yelled at, they're criticized at younger and younger ages. I think you need to embrace failure, make it something that, you, look, nobody wants to screw up or fail, but we're all going to do it. So I think how you handle it, how you deal with it, and how you learn from it is going to be a tremendous growing tool. And I don't think we spend enough time on that because more people at younger and younger ages, or at least the coaches and parents, are consumed with winning. What do you think about that? Well, the very first lesson I teach in my sport philosophy class is I go up to a board and create the great uh, score, score tally sheet for every single competitive zero-sum game that's ever been played in the history of human civilization and will continue to be played until we, in civilization, ends. And what I demonstrate with two pieces of chalk or a dry erase marker is that for every single time somebody wins, somebody also loses. So there's absolutely no moral value in winning that isn't also associated with losing. So it's just, and, and the students look at me like I'm insane, even though I'm pointing out to them something that's absolutely crucially important. And let's not even talk about negative sum games where there's one winner and 7,000 losers. So how do we change it? How do we make it better? What do you think? Oh, gosh. Uh, I, think, I think that it has to get even worse now. Uh, for society to understand that this is doing great damage to uh, our uh, students and to our young people. 
the notion that somehow or another uh, sports participation uh, teaches kids how to think on their feet and make decisions on their own is is preposterous given the way the adults who organize these games make the decisions. So if, as in your example with the kid who came up to bat three times after, uh, you know, three spots after he previously batted. The 12-year-old absolutely knows that that's wrong and would never do it if he was just hanging out playing with his friends. But because an adult told him to do it, that's what he did. And uh, the the best way, I think, to, to change this thing is for uh, parents to take charge of their own kids' uh, destinies, uh, not drink the Kool-Aid and somehow think that just because at eight years old little Mary or, or Johnny displays some tendency to, in sports that that's the way you're going to get your athletic scholarship into college because plain fact of the matter is <laughs> – uh, an eight-year-old is not going to turn out to be the same kind of person as an 18-year-old. And l- what is it? It's it's probably less than 2% of the kids who are playing uh, youth sports at eight wind up getting college uh, scholarships. And for the amount of money that parents spend on these travel leagues, I mean, I, I'm in New York, so ice hockey is really important. The average yearly expense for a youth travel hockey team is about $10,000 a year. Do that for eight years, and you've got $80,000, and that's two years of uh, college at a really expensive college in the United States. So what do you think we need to do to change it? How can we change? Because that's the key. The reason I do this show, Dr. Moser, is is to get people Mm -hmm. to understand that we can make changes. We can do things differently, and we can make it better. Yeah. Uh, Listen to reason. Bring the uh, listen to research. I was on a panel a few a few years ago where uh, on youth sport, and there was a Division One hockey coach on the panel with me. And at the very beginning of the night, I said to the parents, "Look, uh, unless you're interested in every single kid in the league, then uh, what I'm going to have to say is probably not going to matter to you. You can't just care about your kid." Every child matters. Even the worst kid in the league has just as much value as the best kid in the league. And if you're not willing to understand that, and if you're not willing to appreciate what the research says, and as you know, there's research to to the end of the world. There's so much research on what we should and shouldn't do. Uh, This ice hockey coach at one point in time, basically said, I don't care what the research says. This is what I'm going to do. So uh, unless unless you and I can immediately change popular culture and change the way sports gets covered on television, I mean, our, we have local high school games televised all the time now. I mean, it's just like professional sports. Well, that's and why that, that's why we that's why we wrote our book, Just Let Them Play, Guiding Parents, Coaches, and Athletes Through Youth yeah. Sports, is to get, give people an understanding of the big picture. Yeah. And that's why I do this this podcast show. It is for hopefully more and more people to start listening to this and what we're talking about. Because you hit it on the head, Dr. Mosier. It's up to the parents. And and I, I believe very strongly that, when you know, as a parent, it's your responsibility to raise your child. Yes, they're going to be influenced and affected by peers, by friends, by teachers, by parents, by religious leaders, by social media, by television, by radio, by all kinds of things. But in the end, you, as their parent... You still have the upper hand, and I think what what I'm seeing from a lot of people today is pressure that they feel to catch up with everybody else, pressure to you know not fall behind. Well, you know what? You're not going to fall behind if you don't sign up for the sports league at age four. Right. My oldest son, who's now 27, uh, the day before kindergarten started for him, let's see what you think about this. And of course, this is quite a while ago. 
they had all the kids' names on the bo- on the uh, door with the parents' names and phone numbers. I got a phone call from a dad who was starting a youth soccer team. This is, what, probably 22 years ago. And he said, hi, uh, my name's so-and-so. Uh, your son's in my son's kindergarten class. We're starting a youth soccer team once if you'd be interested in signing him up. And I said, you know, thanks for calling, but no, we're not interested. He's more interested in, in uh, you know, wiffle ball, and we, we like to do that, and shooting basketballs. He's not interested in soccer. And this guy said, well, I don't know what you, you know about sports, but if you don't sign him up now, he's going to fall behind everybody else. And I'm like, you have no clue what I do for a living. I said, well, you know what, sir, thanks for the call, but we're not interested in hung up. He, had, he said to me, I, don't, I obviously don't know much about sports. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, my gosh, my son, it's the day before kindergarten, and he's already being told he's going to fall behind if he doesn't sign up for a soccer team. Well, he ended up playing soccer through high, into high school. So I think it's this, this whole pressure issue. So I think it's a lot of it's the education. So tell me in your classes, how do you try to educate the, your students about the big picture? Well, when my kids were young enough and they had a, a, a day off, oftentimes I'd, I'd bring them into class and have the students interview them. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, that so must have been fascinating. It, it was fabulous. Uh, my my daughter, uh, when she was 10 years old, and my son, when he was uh, four, uh, uh, there's a big difference in their development. So we could pose the same theoretical moral problem to them, and uh, they would come up with radically different uh, answers. And that would allow the 18-year-olds in the class to say to themselves, hmm, maybe Dr. Mosher isn't crazy. Maybe there is something to this. Maybe I need to examine the way I make my own moral decisions. You know, by the time most kids are, are in high school, they've, 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 they've progressed in their moral reasoning that in such a way that they're not doing most of the things in life simply because they want to get their own pleasure or get their own way or to make, make, help uh, other people like them, but because they recognize we live in a society where we're all interconnected and, and we depend on each other. So, you know, the red light at the traffic signal is there for a reason. It's not there to say you need to stop because we want to punish you. It's you, you, you need to stop because someone's coming the other way and you don't want him or yourself to wind up being killed. There are, there but, are consequences for behavior. Sure, there are consequences. So, but you know, my little battle with 30 students every every uh, class period can't even compete with, uh, say, Mike and Mike in the in the morning when Mike Gola continues to say over and over and over again that the heads up program in youth football is so much better and is going to keep little Johnny safe when he plays youth football. When all of the research shows you should never even think about putting your kid into football, ever, because all it does is destroy your child's body. Why would you want to do that? But people do it anyway. Well, there are, there are a lot of reasons why people play every sport, and yeah. a lot of it is for you know the educational aspect of sports. A lot of it is because... The, the team building, the confidence building, a lot of it's because they feel there's going to be a future ahead for their child. You know, it's different right. for everybody. This is Sports Psychology Today. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Joining me today is Dr. Stephen Moser from Ithaca College. For more th- episodes of our show, go to thewashingtontimes.com. And if you're listening via Apple Podcasts and you like what we do here, give us a review and a five-star rating. And wherever you listen, share our show on pod- uh, podcast show on Twitter and Facebook. No, Dr. Moser, let me ask you this question. Where do we go from here with youth sports? Okay, from your perspective, teaching for 
as many years as you have and looking at the changes that have gone on. How can, you know, you, there's nothing, we're not going to change youth sports in terms of all of a sudden, well, there aren't going to be any more sports leagues for, for kids younger than seven or eight. I've, I've said for years, I think we're on the pathway to, to begin having organized sports leagues for pregnant women because somebody's going to make money on that. <laughs> in fact, if, if, if it ever happens, I should get a percentage of that because I've talked about it for years. But the fact of the matter is, these, you know, we're, we're seeing this competitiveness go down to younger and younger ages, and people are jumping into it. The damage it's having on kids is, 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 is psychologically and emotionally is very strong. I'm seeing yep. dozens of kids. I, it, I, I never saw, I saw an eight-year-old gymnast once years ago, and now I'm seeing seven- and eight-year-olds in my office all the time because they're burned out and stressed out. They're feeling too much pressure. And what I'm starting to see is, you know, and I work with the parents on these things, and I'm starting to get these parents to realize, hey, you know what? They don't need to go to four practices a week. They can go to one practice a week, put them on a non-competitive team where they're having fun and they're learning stuff and they're enjoying the competition, but the score doesn't matter. They're just enjoying having fun. Because I think that the idea of play is falling out of our society. I want to get your thoughts on that. Oh, we, we are in a joyless time. There, there's very little opportunity for play. I think the best shot at uh, combating this, this downward spiral is for the taxpayers and the school boards in every local community to realize they've got all these incredible resources right at their hands that they never use. And I'm talking about the elementary schools and the middle school and the high school. There's athletic facilities in every one of those settings. And it's incumbent upon the taxpayers to say, we need to provide our students, uh, our children, with another kind of uh, experience when it comes to physical activity. So school ends. Instead of the buses leaving, every single child stays at the school for a couple of hours. I know most parents would love to, to know that their kids were in a safe environment where there was adult supervision. Some kids could do free play. Some kids could learn how to tumble. Some kids could learn how to climb ropes. Some kids could play soccer. Uh, and you could continue that right through high school and have intramural athletics instead of interscholastic athletics. You'd save a whole heck of a lot of money not busting people, uh, your players, from community to community. And uh, given the fact that most of the really excellent athletic athletes at a young age who aspire to college or, uh, or professional careers, they're already in those travel leagues. They can get that kind of intense competition there if, they, if that's what they choose to do. But the overwhelming majority of children in our society are not going to make any money playing sports. Well, that, you know, you're 100, you're 100% correct. They'll play golf correct. or tennis or, or, or join a bowling league. You're 100% correct. The problem is, though, the, the world of youth sports has developed so much now that to try to do something like that, most people aren't going to do it. They're well, going to they're going to see it. Uh, well, you're screwing up my kid's chance of getting a, a, a scholarship. You're screwing up my kid's future. So yeah, unless well, we can get that started at younger, I think implementing something like that, you know, in, in kindergarten, first, second, third grade, have after school play programs that they can implement that in is a great idea. The problem yeah, is well, there are so many people making so much money off the side. A lot of people aren't going to go for that. 
Oh, well, uh, except for the people who don't have the money to be able to have their kid wind up in those travel leagues, and that's where some of the best athletes are. are. Uh, you can you can bet your bottom dollar on that one, but they never have the opportunity because their parents don't have the money to be able to uh, send their kids to a travel league. Well, I think if that's you, a great suggestion. I think what you're bringing up is a tremendous idea. And maybe Have you thought about trying to implement it in Ithaca, talking to any of the school districts there? Uh, Ithaca, the home of Cornell University. Oh God, no! It's not a cha- not a chance in hell. It would happen in Ithaca, New York. It would have to have to happen in a community like where I live now, which is a small farming community about 20 miles from Ithaca. And uh, I could actually run for school board if I wanted to, or uh, and and talk about the best way to use your tax uh, dollars. And, but I think, uh, that's, but I, I have to tell you, I think what you're bringing up is a great. It, I, I really like your idea. Of, of having something like that. I've never heard that before. Yeah. And it would be something to be interested to see if it did work, what happened to those kids and how they stayed in the world, how they ended up developing as time went on. That could be sort of a longitudinal study you could do. Might yeah. be something well, worthwhile for you to think about. I, well, I think the, the, that's the a great idea. The longitudinal studies have already been done, actually. Uh, Luther Halsey Gulick, uh, who who founded the YMCA, founded the New York State, uh, New York City uh, Athletic League for high schools, who founded just about uh, every single uh, play reform movement in the 1890s, 1920s. In fact, he was the teacher who told his students at Springfield College in 1892 to go find a game that will help teach strong Christian moral values. And James Naismith came up with basketball. And three years later, after he realized basketball was a failure, uh, the students at Springfield College invented volleyball. And it's been done. And it's, it was fabulous, and it was tremendously helpful, and it kept kids, particularly urban kids, uh, healthy. And to be perfectly honest, it helped uh, the United States in World War One and World War Two uh, be victorious. Well, it's something uh-huh. we need. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk more about it on our podcast show as, as our episodes continue. Listen, Dr. Stephen Moser, I want to thank you for joining me today. People like to get a hold of you. How can they reach you? Give us your pertinent information where you're, they can con- contact. Oh, sure. They can easily uh, reach me uh, uh, through uh, Ithaca College email, uh, which is smoser at ithaca.edu. And uh, I'd be happy to uh, reply or offer advice to any of your listeners who might have a specific kind of question about his or her child. Well, I really enjoyed the interview. This morning, this has been a really fascinating interview on on what we've discussed here. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us this morning and continue good luck with with your class. I hope your students get a lot out of it because you certainly have a tremendous amount of information you can share with them. Well, thank you so much, and uh, continue good luck with your career as well. We're fighting, I'm afraid, uh, a battle that's going to be really frustrating for at least another decade or so. Well, I'm going to do this as long as I can. I love doing this show, and I love helping people out, so that's why I do it. Listen, Dr. Mosier, thanks for joining me this morning. You're welcome. Bye-bye. This is Dr. Andrew Jacobs, and you've been listening to Sports Psychology Today, produced in partnership with The Washington Times. For more episodes of our show, go to WashingtonTimes.com, And for more information on the podcast or to advertise with us, go to winnersunlimited.com or email drj at winnersunlimited.com. Wherever you're listening, please check in again soon for the latest episode. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Have a great day.